This is Crowcasts, the podcast from Crow in the UK, a leading audit, tax, advisory and risk firm with global reach and local expertise. In our podcasts, you will hear from our specialists offering insight and pragmatic advice to businesses of all sizes, professional practices, non-profit organisations, pension funds and private clients. Hello, this is the first regular broadcast, which will take place monthly as part of Crow UK's new podcast series. My name is Jim G, and I'm a partner and head of forensic services for Crow UK. I'm also a visiting professor and chair of the Centre for Counterfraud Studies at University of Portsmouth, which is Europe's leading research centre concerning cybercrime, fraud, bribery, corruption, and money laundering. The broadcast series will be a mixture of comment, interviews and discussion. The views expressed will be fearless and sometimes controversial, and those expressing them take full responsibility for what is said. The reason we are starting this broadcast now is because we are in the middle of a period of massively increased fraud and cybercrime, spurred by the economic crisis arising from the COVID-19 health crisis. I think every organisation needs to be on top of their game to face these threats, and the more we can share information and intelligence, the more that we can gain real insight into what is happening, the more effective we will be. Each broadcast will include some comment on the latest news, an interview with a leading forensic specialist, and a discussion about a controversial subject. For this first broadcast, I will be interviewing Professor Mark Button from the University of Portsmouth, and then discussing the latest threat intelligence. But first, let's turn to the key news this week. We're now clear what is happening to the UK economy as a result of the COVID crisis. The size of the economy, its gross domestic product or GDP, fell by 24.5% between April and June 2020. And the prediction is that unemployment will rise to more than 2 million. This will have a dramatic effect on the extent of fraud. The Centre for Counterfraud Studies at University of Portsmouth went back to review what happened in the last three UK recessions in 1980, in 1990 and in 2008-9. They looked at government GDP figures and figures for reported fraud. So in the 1980 recession, there was a 3% fall in GDP and a 5.9% increase in fraud. In the 1990 recession, there was a 1.7% fall in GDP, but an 11% increase in fraud. And in 2008-9, there was a 2.1% fall in GDP and a 7.9% increase in fraud offences. The research is very clear. Fraud increases whenever the economy shrinks. On average, for every 1% shrinkage in the economy, fraud increases by 4%. And so, with a 24.5% shrinkage in the economy in the first three months after COVID hit, we should anticipate almost a 100% increase in the extent of fraud, to unprecedented levels higher than ever before in most of our lifetimes. This will overwhelm many organisations' counter-fraud arrangements unless they are radically ramped up. In my view, 
there are six things that organisations need to do. They need all-round protection to minimise the impact of this fraud spike. So the first thing they should do concerns existing controls. Not very effective against such a rapidly evolving threat as fraud, even in the best of times, but these need to be reviewed and strengthened. Secondly, messages need to be communicated to strengthen a culture of integrity and to deter the dishonest minority. Thirdly, high-risk areas both internally and externally need to be profiled, including people, suppliers and other areas. Advanced data science techniques need to be deployed to detect anomalous behaviour and payments. Organisations need to make sure that they have access to a capacity to undertake lawfully proper remote investigations in the context of current social distancing arrangements, however they develop. And lastly, organisations also need information and intelligence as to the threat, how the threat of fraud develops and evolves across the economy. And effective remote investigations require the capacity to take forensic images of computers without being on site and meeting legal requirements concerning interviews with witnesses and suspects via video link. Further advice can be provided about this. Now let's turn to this week's interview. My guest this week is Professor Mark Button, someone who I've worked with now for more than two decades, both in forming and developing the UK's counter-fraud profession and in undertaking a very wide range of research into the nature and scale of fraud across many sectors. So, Mark, let's make a start. I was looking back, and I think we've published more than 40 research reports now. Looking back, what do you think is the most important research that we've undertaken in this area? Yes, we've published so much research in so many areas, but I think I would focus on two particular areas. The first area is the, the cost of fraud. But I think you've got to put it in the context for, for a very long time. There has been this perception that fraud isn't a problem, that there aren't that many cases of fraud. And we have been able to show very clearly that fraud is a major problem. It costs society a huge amount of money, £190 billion pounds plus. Um, Organisations regularly lose 5% plus um, in terms of fraud in a lot of areas of expenditure. Um, so I think that's been a very important strand to our research, exposing that. And I think the second area is in terms of resilience. Um, through our research, we've been able to show that there are a wide range of strategies organisations can use to tackle fraud, and they have been able to, to measure themselves against that. And we've been able to show that certain sectors of the economy clearly aren't doing as much as they could in terms of um, a strategy to, to deal with fraud. So... Um, I think that research has been very influential in helping organisations develop the most appropriate strategy. So costs of fraud and resilience, I think, are, are two of our standout areas. Thank you, Mark. Um, during the COVID crisis, the government spent a lot of money keeping the economy afloat. What do you think needs to happen to minimise fraud concerning what's been called the COVID cash? Or is it too late? This is always a challenging area for, for governments to deal with. They often face this issue with humanitarian crises in overseas aid, the challenge of, of getting aid out, um, but not 
um, creating so many bureaucratic structures that it, do it doesn't get delivered in order to prevent fraud and corruption. The same thing with the current crisis. Um, clearly, the, the, there is a, a need for this this um, uh, uh, aid to go out to businesses and organisations and individuals, uh, and it needs to go out there quickly. Um, but clearly, um, there needs to be means to, to prevent fraud. Um, and I think, given the, the desire to get it out there, I think the, the, the most realistic way of dealing with that is through some kind of preventative campaign, uh, essentially changing the culture of individuals and organisations and making clear that those who um, are seeking to, to access this aid, um, that if they do use fraudulent means, there may be consequences down the track. And so I think the government could have done a lot more in terms of a campaign um, to, to, to raise this as a, as a potential um, consequence if they abuse the system. Um, I think really um, in the current context, that's the, the only um, realistic means to kind of deal with this problem. I think putting in, too, in place too many controls, which we would normally do, would probably stop the, the help getting to business and organisations. So cultural change, presentations um, is, the, is the key issue here. Thank you. And um, just going back to the 90s and noughties, you were one of the main founders of the UK's counterfeit profession. What you what do you think we did well, and what do you think we didn't do as well? I think in establishing a um, training qualification in in ACFUS, um, the accredited counterfeit specialist, and to a lesser extent the accredited counterfeit technician, um, I think we created the um, the if you like the currency for for the qualification out there for for most of the public and private sector. If you want to work as a fraud um, investigator or fraud specialist, these are the, the awards that people look to. So I think in terms of creating that currency, that has been a huge success. I think where the, the board, um, that the, that's the, the Cantor Professional Accreditation Board, uh, wasn't so successful is in developing that into, if you like, a regulatory framework like a lot of the other professions have, lawyers, accountants, etc., um, where in those professions, clearly, if you if you um, undertake um, you know sort of something which is is bad, like a criminal act or um, unethical practices, there is a risk of you actually being struck off. And I think the the structures that were created um, through the the CFPAB never realised that. Um, and I think that's why it's refreshing. And, and I'm hopeful that what the Cabinet Office is creating, where they are creating a profession, um, will um, fill that gap. And hopefully they will expand that out to the local government and the private and charity sectors. So looking forwards, um, what are your priorities in terms of fraud and cybercrime research over the next year or so? My priorities, I'm very interested in non-state um, agents involved in the investigation of, of fraud and uh, you know, associated economic crimes. Uh, I think they play the most important part in society. Uh, the police are, are you know, a very small part of the overall pie in dealing with this, and I would like to, to find out more about that. 
but I'm particularly interested in looking at broader economic crime and how organizations experience that. So this is more than just fraud. This is corruption. This is intellectual property crime. This is industrial and economic espionage, those types of, of issues. And those are, are perpetrated if we just take, for instance, industrial espionage, where we've had some quite prominent examples just in the last few months with Chinese and Russian um, um, operatives seeking to get hold of data related to the COVID vaccine. Um, these are, are perpetrated by a wide range of, of means that, that cut across all the sort of areas I'm interested in, you know, by cyber, by hacking, um, by uh, corrupt insiders, um, by by frauds to trick people into um, into clicking on different types of things to enable some of those other things to happen. So I'm particularly interested in those areas, and I think um, those types of economic crimes are unfortunately going to um, become much more prominent in the future. Okay, Mark, thank you. Thank you for that. We've clearly seen big increases in fraud and cybercrime. Um, what does the future hold? Does that just go on and on increasing and increasing, or are there factors which would limit or reverse those trends? Well, if you look at the the, the, the fraud trends in terms of recorded fraud, and there are lots of issues with those as, as statistics, but if you look at those, it's, it's just bar a blip in the early noughties. It is a, a constant, you know, sort of um, hill, if you like, um, increasing fraud um, uh, since the, the kind of 1980s. It's just a, an upward curve of increasing fraud. Um, that blip, I think, can be explained by a number of things. And I think in reality, fraud was still increasing during that period. Um, so I think, you know, that the past trend is upwards and I think that will continue and it will continue for these reasons. Um, first of all, the technological changes that have occurred have made it much easier to commit fraud. Um, obviously, um, fraudsters can target people by email, by internet sites, etc. Um, it's much easier for people to rationalize can, you know, engaging in fraud. The difference between applying for a loan now where you do it all online and don't have to speak to anyone compared to 30, 40 years ago where you'd have to have a chat with a bank manager. Um, it's, it's obviously much more difficult to lie to a person than it is to a, a computer screen. So all of those background changes going on. Um, I think Alongside that, there is some evidence of changes in, in attitudes where um, we are probably becoming more um, dishonest. Um, so I think when you you throw all those factors in, and then with the added dimension of a of a probably quite nasty recession coming, which puts financial pressures on a lot of people, um, I think the the trend will continue to rise. I, I don't see um, that um, increase stopping in the in the near future. Just to pick up on your point about dishonesty, um, do you think, uh, I would agree there is more dishonesty, often petty dishonesty, but do you think that's come from perhaps society over the last 30, 40 years um, becoming less of a collective and people becoming more individualised? Yes, I think there's a complex range of factors um, contributing towards that. I think the, 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 the movement from a, a more collectivist where there's much more social control over us and expectations of behavior, I think certainly has had an impact. Um, people are much less constrained by those kinds of things um, to, to 20, 30 years ago. I mean, um, you know, having a, a criminal conviction 
you know, 30, 40 years ago would have been seen as, as terrible. Uh, I think these days um, that is probably not as, um, uh, not seen so, so badly, in, certainly in certain sections of the community. So I think that is certainly a factor. I think the, the factors that I also describe in terms of how easy it is now to commit fraud, that, that just creates much more opportunities that people are exposed to. And, um, um, and obviously, there's always going to be an element that will exploit those opportunities. And I think some of the changing nature of, of technology has made it much more easier for people to, to rationalize or neutralize doing bad things. Um, you know, the example I gave of applying for a loan, um, if you just fill in a, a form on your laptop and you, you write false information, um, that's very easy. You're just interacting with a computer. But if you have to go and talk to someone face to face to go over your loan application or you have to talk to someone over a telephone, suddenly you're having to lie to someone um, face to face or, or at least over the telephone. That's much more difficult. So I think a lot of the technologies make being dishonest much easier to, to, to do and to neutralize. So I think a combination of all those factors together have, have, have all combined to make you know, society much less honest. Thanks, Mark. That's uh, my last question, but some some great answers there. I hope we can replay this again and, and perhaps continue the interview with a future Crow broadcast. Um, I have lots more questions, and I'm sure you have lots of lots more great answers. So, thank you very much for agreeing to be interviewed. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. The next section of this broadcast looks at how we can get advance warning of threats in dangerous times. We are in a time of crisis now and will continue to be so for many months to come due to the impact that COVID is having on business and communities around the world. Businesses need to make sure that they are properly protected against those threats, both in respect of UK operations and international subsidiaries and partners. This section of the broadcast addresses what they can do to understand the threats that they face. Many companies have been hit hard by the crisis, with income streams having seriously diminished or drying up. Employees have been furloughed and now face challenging and uncertain futures. Some people who ordinarily wouldn't even consider doing anything dishonest are now in positions of desperation, causing them to act outside their normal behaviour. At the same time, fraudsters and cybercriminals have seen millions of people moving from a secure corporate environment to working from home, relying on domestic communications infrastructure to conduct their firm's business. We've started to see organised crime groups taking advantage of all of this, buying their way into companies facing bankruptcy in order to exploit a company's legitimacy, seeking to establish lines of credit for goods that will never be paid for. Furthermore, the nature of the dark web where much criminal activity is planned and organised, has changed, with large marketplaces being replaced by a plethora of individuals seeking to exploit particular types of company or commodity and now more accessible for ordinary citizens. Employees have been detected trying to sell their employers intellectual property in order to generate income, whether this be customer details, product launch details or technical designs. These are all fast-moving environments that need to be continually scanned for emerging threats, 
And this is one of the things that Crow's forensic services team do. And we do it across the world and in respect of a very wide range of types of threat. There is a very dangerous range and diversity of threat, and not just in respect of cybercrime and fraud. There are many other types of threat which Crow reports on, including the economic, regulatory, political, travel and health threats, which can have a major impact on business. We provide a weekly digest of these threats on a subscription basis and can also provide detailed bespoke reports concerning the threats associated with traveling to particular parts of the world. For more information, go to our website and open the Forensic Services web pages. In dangerous times, we all need the radar which threat intelligence can provide. It's very simple. If you know that a threat exists, you can plan to mitigate it. If you don't, you can't. Threat intelligence, using the latest techniques, is the way to identify the risks that firms need to identify in these dangerous times. So that's it for this week's broadcast. We hope you found it interesting and we will be back in a month's time. Thank you. Tune in next time for another episode of Crowcasts. For more information about Crow, our services, industries we advise and insights, visit crow.co.uk. We are an independent member of Crow Global, the eighth largest accounting network in the world. You can connect with us on social media by following Crow UK on LinkedIn or at Crow UK on Twitter.